0: 2 Corinthians 8, and we'll read verses 1 through 12. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability entirely on their own they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints and they did not do as we expected but they gave themselves first to the lord and then to us in keeping with god's will so we urged titus since he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part but just as you excel in everything in faith in speech in knowledge In complete earnestness and in your love for us see that you also excel in this grace of giving i'm not commanding you but i want you to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others for you know the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich and here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have.
1: If you have your Bibles with you, uh, I hope you do because I'm going to be throwing Scripture at you like you wouldn't believe this morning. So turn with me to Proverbs chapter 30. Now we're going to start there and I am going to, not. this isn't a trip around the barn, but I'm going to take you on a trip through Scripture. And, and we're going to start here and we will wind up here. I promise you. Proverbs chapter 30. And I want to read verses 7 through 9. Now, these are the sayings of a man named Agur. No idea who that is. But God saw fit to put it in his word. And so under the doctrine of inspiration, if God put it there, we need to listen to it. And so here it is. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you, O Lord, Do not refuse me before I die. I'm going to talk about wealth and poverty this morning. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Keep falsehood and lies far from me, number one. And number two, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Do you dare pray that? You know, do you dare pray that? You know, give me neither poverty nor riches, but just give me my daily bread question for you. If you were to go to a hockey game here at Nipawin when the Nipawin Hawks are playing, uh, every once in a while there is this commercial that comes on, and it's from one of our local financial institutions, which I won't name. But the commercial goes something like this. Do you know that the hockey puck was invented by a disgruntled maintenance man who got tired of fixing windows? You know about hockey, but we know about money. What's the matter, Bib? <laughs> Not recognizing it, okay? <laughs> I need to make a disclaimer before we get into this, this, this topic, and that is, um, while I may know about hockey, I know Zip about money. I really do. And when it comes to finances, I am a income poop. Now and my wife's laughing. Thanks. Um, now, I looked up the word nincompoop, poop." And it says it's a. I did. I thought if I'm going to call myself that, I need to know what I'm saying. So, uh, and and, uh, the word nincompoop is a deliberate insult against someone's either intelligence or competence. So, both of those things fit really well. But while I may not know a whole lot about money, I think I know something about Scripture. Now, it's been said that the Bible is shallow enough that a child will never drown in it, and it's deep enough that a theologian will never touch bottom. When I was at Prairie, one of my favorite teachers, and David and Elfie, you'll remember, Ted Rendell, but but he was one of my favorite Bible teachers, a man who has written books. He has traveled all over the world teaching Bible. And when it came time to teaching the Bible, when it came time to talking about prophecy, Ted Rendell would often say, uh, you know, this is what I think, but we're still paddling in the shallows. And in a very sense, I am still paddling in the shallows, but I know a little bit about Scripture, and so we're going to take what Scripture says about money, and we're going to learn that this morning. Now, the problem is that most of us know something about money because we all have to use it. And most of us, most people think that they know better than the person sitting next to you. And it's usually when it comes to churches and and divisions and, and contentions in churches, it's usually money that gets churches into trouble. I remember someone coming to me in town here complaining that their pastor had spent $40 on stamps in one month, and the person said to me, can you imagine that, $40 on stamps in one month? We've never had a pastor that spent $40 on stamps in one month. I never have, by the way. Computer software, that's something else. We won't talk about that. But it's usually money issues that get people riled up in churches, and often larger issues aren't giving much attention. One of my uncles told me one time that the urge to possess is one of the greatest motivating and destructive factors in human life. The urge to possess, to get stuff, to get things. And so when it comes to money, I think this. Our perspective on money... Your perspective on money, my perspective on money, needs to be shaped by the timeless principles of Scripture. I need to allow the principles of Scripture to shape my perspective on money and what, the, what I need to do with it and about it and what my attitude toward it needs to be. My perspective on money must be shaped By the timeless principles of Scripture. Now, here's one of the first principles, and this is an overriding reality for those of you that have been around Emmanuel Baptist Church for a while. You will remember Gord Sorensen, who came and did some some seminars on, on finances and stuff like that. And Gord usually started with this particular principle, and the principle comes from Psalm chapter 50, or Psalm 50, rather, verses 10 through 12. And the principle is this God owns it all. God owns it all. Psalm 50, God's speaking here. He says, Every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine, and all that is in it. And everything you have is not yours. It belongs to God. He lets you play with it. He lets you hold it. He lets you hang on to it for a little while, but everything that you have is not yours. It is God. I found out the other day, apparently now, this is what someone told me, and I am repeating this, and I don't necessarily have a window on it, but apparently if you don't pay your taxes in the RM for two years, uh, the RM can come and take your land away. I don't know if that's true or not, but then, you know, like you think you own your land, try not paying your taxes. Then we'll see how that works for you. So the reality is that God gives us things to use for a while, but everything I have and everything I am and everything I ultimately will have and will be is a gift from God. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. In this chapter, what what happens here is that the people of Israel are outside of the promised land. They have wandered through the desert for 40 years, and they are about to go in and to claim the land. And so Moses is speaking to God, or speaking to the people here, and he's saying to the people here, here's how this works. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 10. When you have eaten, okay, he says, look, he says, God led you through the wilderness and he fed you with manna to teach you that, that you know, life isn't about bread alone. Okay, and he says, when you have eaten and are sati- satisfied, excuse me, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget Because he said, if you do forget otherwise, verse 12, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And the tendency is, you may say to yourself, verse 17 there, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember this, the Lord, it is the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. So, everything that you and I have and everything that you and I have ever will have is a gift from God. God is the one who gives you your smarts. God is the one who gives you your health. God is the one who gives you your circumstances. God is the one who gives you your strength. And as such, now listen to this. If it belongs to God, then God has both the power and the wisdom and the right. That's three things to take it away. If God owns it all, he not only has the power and the wisdom, but he also has the right to take it away. When God took his stuff away from Job, Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked am I going to leave this world. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then later on, in the next chapter, Job's wife is saying, like, what's the matter with you, you dipstick? Like, curse God and die, get done with this. And Job said, shall we accept good from God and not bad? God has the right to take it away. And if we really believe, if you are a Christian this morning, If you believe that God Almighty is in control of your life, if you really believe that God is omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful, and if you really believe that God is omniscient, which means that he is all-wise, if you really believe those two things, then you and I have no business questioning either his methods or his motives. So that's one principle. Here's another one. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. The reality of funerals is, and it doesn't matter whether you get cremated or buried or some other, when I get a burial permit for a funeral home uh, that allows me or authorizes me to conduct a funeral service, it tells me that that permission is granted for, for interment cremation, or other means of disposal. We have to dispose of that body, and it really doesn't matter how much stuff you have or how rich you are. We're all going to go the same way. Now, the Bible teaches us that we can't take it with us, but we can take it on ahead. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, don't lay up your treasures on earth. Don't build up your treasures here. Don't invest your life in stuff that is going to disappear. He's talking about rust and and moth and decay and everything else. But he says, put up treasures in heaven. How do you do that? By investing in the lives of other people, not just in stuff. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul tells Timothy, tell those who are rich in this present world to be generous and willing to share, and in this way they will lay up for themselves treasures in heaven. So the reality is, whatever you have, you're going to lose because you can't take it with you. You're going to lose it anyway. Back in the days before I went to Bible college, I used to own a logging truck, and basically one of my goals in life was to be able to pay cash for a brand new logging truck, and I wanted a house on, on five acres, and I wanted new pickup, and I wanted, I wanted all this stuff. And I was frustrated because I had what I thought was an older truck. It was only four years old when I bought it. But in those in, in the time that I had it, I had to rebuild the engine. I had to replace the transmission. We had to dig into the differentials and, and major components started costing money. And I thought, boy, wouldn't it be nice to have a new truck, brand new truck, and I wouldn't have to spend all this money on it. But the reality is that you're either gonna pay it out in repairs, you're going to pay it out in income tax, or you're going to pay it out in interest I can't take it with me and I'm going to have to let go of it sometime sooner or later anyway but I can't send it on ahead alright, so that's one of the principles the overriding realities God owns it all and we can't take it with us. Here's another principle. Wealth isn't necessarily a blessing. Now, we think when God blesses us, he gives us material things. He gives us stuff. We either have money or we have toys. And in a sense, that's true, but it's not necessarily a blessing. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is another one of the wisdom pieces of literature. It's right behind the book of Proverbs. You've got Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon. Solomon was a a paradox on legs. He was both the smartest and the dumbest man, I think, who ever lived. And here's his take on life. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Solomon says, I thought in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good, but that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. If anyone had it all, this guy did. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me, and all this my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor, yet... When I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Solomon's wealth Solomon's wealth came at the expense of his people. Solomon taxed the living daylights out of the people of Israel. And in order to support Solomon, the people had to give and give and give, and and there was taxes and there was free labor that you had to provide and and all the rest of that stuff. And and Solomon was, was insanely wealthy. And yet after he died, his son came to the throne, son by the name of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam came to the throne, and, and people came to Rehoboam and said, man, they said to him, a delegation came to him and said, can you lighten up a bit? Can you ease off? Like your dad just taxed the living daylight out of us, and it was more than we could handle. Can you lighten up? And so he said, come back in three days and I'll give you an answer. And he went to his advisors, the older men, his elders, his counselors, and they said to him, you know, if you lighten up, these people will serve you for life. And Rehoboam thought, you know, if I do that, I can't live the lifestyle that I'm accustomed to. And so the people came back three days later, and Rehoboam said, if you thought my dad was somebody, he says, just wait till you get dealing with me. He says, I am going to be worse than my dad ever was. And the people of Israel said, basically, well, hang it on your beak, turkey, or stick it in your ear. And they went home. And the country split in two. And his, the life that he could have had vaporized before his eyes. And wealth isn't necessarily a blessing. I had a bunch of stories that I was going to bring out and I forgot to bring them, they're laying on my desk, but you know the stories. Every so often, um, you, you'll see a show on TV, I think it's called, How Lottery Changed My Life, and, and the stories of, of people who won millions of dollars only to have it disappear, to have it ruin their lives and ruin their families and uh, and all the rest of this. and, and You know, and you and I, I look at some of that and I think, well, Lord, you know, like, if you gave me 11 million bucks, like, or, you know, 346 or whatever it is now, uh, you know, I would be different. I would be smarter. And and I would manage it better. And, and, you know, I would be happy. And and people around me, yeah, right. Uh, Think about this. And I don't know if I've posed this question to this before. If God wanted to give me money, does he need a lottery ticket to do it? No. And God in his wisdom has not seen fit to give me $346. Now what's the matter with him? Like, you know, doesn't he know that that would, that that would make me so happy? Sometimes wealth isn't a blessing. Wealth can turn into a curse. All right, let me, let me, let's take a look at poverty or lack of wealth. Where does it come from? How come people aren't always rich? Uh, I have, let's see, about six reasons here. These are things that will make you poor. Number one, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, And poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. Laziness usually brings or breeds poverty. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 13 Do not love sleep, or you will grow poor. Stay awake, and you will have food to spare. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4 Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. Okay, laziness is something. Now, Okay, bear in mind that a proverb is a proverb is a proverb. It's a statement of general. There are lazy people who have all kinds of money. And there are people who work themselves, their fingers to the bone, who don't have any money. These are statements of general truth. Another thing that will bring us poverty is an addiction. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 18, He who ignores discipline comes to poverty and shame. When you refuse to discipline yourself, Uh, Verse Chapter 23, verses 20 and 21, Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat, for drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes, clothes them in rags. Now, it's not just substance abuse. We tend to think that it is drugs and alcohol that make people poor, but some people are addicted to other things. Some people are addicted to spending money. Some people are addicted to saving money. Some people are addicting to impressing others or or to scheming. Uh, Chapter 21, verse 17, "Who Who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will never be rich. Sometimes we think there are shortcuts to wealth, and one of them is to extort money or to exploit other people. Proverbs 22, verse 16, He who oppresses the poor to increase his wealth, and who gives gifts to the rich. Both come to poverty. Why would you give gifts to the rich? To impress people. Because you want to make a favorable impression. Why would you oppress the poor? Because they're easy marks. Both come to poverty. Here's a good one. One of the ways to poverty is to be stingy. Chapter 28, verse 22, a stingy man is eager to get rich and is unaware that poverty awaits him. Now, here's a a two-sided coin. Chapter 11, verse 24, one man gives freely, and one of the roads to wealth is to give away what you have. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Scheming, you know people who like to scheme. You know, there are these things that you can do to get rich really quick. I heard, I was watching a TV program the other day about drugs and stuff like that, and, and, and this one guy was selling drugs on the street making 50 grand a week. I thought, man, 50 grand a week, okay, 10 weeks, that's, ho. that's, oh, that's $500,000. That's how many million dollars a year? If I did that for three years? <laughs> Kathy! Scheming, chapter 28, verse 19, he who works his land will have abundant food, but the one who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. Oh, yikes, okay. Um, Chapter 21, verse 5, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Now here's here's one for you from Ecclesiastes. You know, one of the things we accuse people who have money of loving money. Sometimes the love of money is not a problem of the rich. Sometimes the love of money is, is a problem of people who don't have money. But Ecclesiastes chapter, what is it, five and verse 10 says, Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. And some people maybe have a love of money, never have money enough. So how do you get it? What does Proverbs have to say about wealth? One of the mistakes that we make is, is that of equating blessing with material things. And, and while it is true in a sense, sometimes God in his blessing sends the rain or sends the storm. And you and I need to be careful of equating blessing with materialism. God's goal for your life and mine is not to make us wealthy and healthy and comfortable. God's goal for your life and mine is to conform us to the likeness of Jesus Christ, and that usually takes pressure. When I was in Bible school, they talked about Knocking the corners off someone's life. You know, it's one thing when you get squeezed into the likeness, and it's a gentle squeeze. It's another thing when someone else takes uh, a chisel or an axe to your life and lops off something that is dear to you. But God's goal for my life is to conform us to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Yes, God richly gives us First Timothy 6 says that God richly gives us all things for our enjoyment. And he does. And there is a blessing, there is that that truth. Proverbs 10, verse 22 says, The blessing of the Lord brings wealth, and he adds no trouble to it. But if he gives it, he also has the right to take it. And you must remember that when God gives you something that you hold it in an open hand because there are times that God says to us, get rid of it. Give it away. You don't need it. I have promised to look after you. That's where God asks us to be generous. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth or adequate supply. Diligence does as well. Chapter ten verse twenty four or verse four rather, lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. Chapter twenty one verse five, the plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. Proverbs fifteen twenty two, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Do you know that one of the roads, one of the other roads to wealth is generosity? To give stuff away. Ecclesiastes chapter five, Solomon says, verse thirteen, I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner. Proverbs twenty-eight, verse twenty-seven, He who gives to the poor will lack nothing, but he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. And, and we see people with their hands stretched out around us. When I was at our at our provincial conference yesterday, there was a young mum there, mother of four children and she and her husband have gone to Rwanda. They live in Kigali, and, and he's a, he's a, a, a medic, and, and she's a midwife. And they're working with the poor in the slums of Kigali. And, and their home church has provided, I think they're building a two-story uh, clinic, birthing clinic for, for mums, for moms who live in the slums. And uh, the people of their churches and other churches have given just all kinds of money away. And we think sometimes, why are we pouring money into some of these places? Like, aren't these people responsible for some of their own problems? If they would just, you know, fix their economy or fix their their government or whatever, they could climb out of this hole that they're in. And yet God tells us to give God says to us, he who gives to the poor will lack nothing, but he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. Proverbs 11, verse 25, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be blessed. And a generous man will be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. So how do we get a handle on this? If you go back to Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, the chapter where Solomon was talking about. He said, I I denied myself nothing. I climbed the ladder of success only to find out it was leaning against nothing. Solomon in in chapter 2 and verse 24 says, A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. Chapter 5 and verse 18, Solomon says, Then I realize that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. And here's the drill. Your contentment. Paul said at the end of his life, he said, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance. Now, my contentment is not determined by my circumstances. My contentment is a product of my attitude. It is not the result of my circumstances. My contentment is a product of my attitude. I have learned the secret. Have I learned that secret, me, Bill? I'm working on it. Probably not there yet. I really don't like pain. I really don't like hardship. But I am beginning to realize that my circumstances don't determine my state of contentment. 1 Timothy chapter 6 Uh, talks about the love of money, for the root of money is is a root of all kinds of evil. And and the Bible says, some people eager for money have fallen into temptation and a trap and many uh, harmful and evil schemes that, that trap men into ruin and destruction. And so my contentment, and if we're going back to Proverbs chapter 30, Uh, That's a dangerous, well, it is and it isn't a dangerous prayer, but two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. In other words, uh, Lord, guard my integrity. And then give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. And what that is doing, it's yielding control. Lord, you decide what I need. Lord, you decide what I can do without you decide what I need to live, and I'm going to leave that in your hands, and that's going to be I'm going to be okay with that. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I have, may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? One man said to me one time, Who needs the Lord when things are going good? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor. The name of my God. Have you got a perspective on life or are you chasing things? Do you want to have stuff? Do you say, well, if I only had this, I would be happy. If I only had uh, a new pickup or if I only had a new house or if I only had this, then I would be happy. And the reality is I probably wouldn't be any happier for any length of time than I am now with the stuff God has given me. Yeah, I'm doing okay. You know, I, I have vehicles that run and my poor Chevy is in the in the body shop right now getting rust repaired on it cuz nothing in this world lasts forever and uh, it'll probably rust again. But, you know, we we're, we're doing okay. And and the bills are paid and and there's food on the, there's lots of food in our house and 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 you know the life smiles. <laughs> this more this I know time's going. I got to tell you this story. Tuesday morning, two thirty in the morning, I wake up. I want to tell you first of all, I'm content. Secondly, <laughs> Tuesday morning, I wake up, two thirty in the morning. I mean, what's that noise? Like, what's going on? Is that the furnace running? It can't be the furnace running. Like it, you know, like it's way too loud for that. And, and I just installed a new water softener. Well, maybe my water softener is cycling. You know, it's supposed to go off at 2 o'clock in the morning, but I cycled that thing. I just installed it, and it wasn't that loud. So what's going on? So, so I'm weaving my way through a dark house and kind of stumbling around, and, and oh, that noise is coming out of the bathroom. So go into the bathroom, and there's like this much ice-cold water on the floor of my bathroom. Oh, man, Kathy, get out of bed. <laughs> we got work to do. And, and so the, the the house was flooded. The basement was flooded. That all oh, the rain coming through the floor. It was fantastic, but I'm content. See. And we got it cleaned up. But you know, it's not it's not our circumstances that determine our contentment. It's our attitude toward life. And and you know, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, we have so much here. It's a matter of perspective. I asked one of my missionary friends one time. Uh, who's living? In, who was living in, in Arian Jaya in the tribal area at the time, I said, do you live at the same level as as the people do? He said, you know what? He said, any time you have more than one spoon, you're living above their level. So he said, we can't. Uh, and he learned to be content with his circumstances, and uh, and God has put you in your circumstances, and I trust that you and I can learn to be content. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, you have blessed us with things. We have food to eat and clothes in our closet, and, and we have more than a day's supply of food in our in our cupboards and in our refrigerators. We have vehicles that we can just leave out the doors here and, and start them up, and, and wow. And still we want more. Father, teach us this this secret of being content. Help us to be content with the things you have given us. And Lord, give us the courage to pray that you would give us neither poverty nor riches, but just give us our daily bread. And in James, we're told, or Timothy, rather, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Lord, help us to put that into practice. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for... Your abundant provision, Lord, bless us as we leave this building, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're dismissed. God bless you.